Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Peckville Assembly of God podcast. We're so glad you're here. Now, welcome Pastor Terry Drost with today's message. Everybody stand up on your feet one more time. I promise I won't do this the whole, the whole service. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and hold them out. Or your phones. Praise God. Take one hand on the Bible, put one hand on your heart. Say this out loud with me. Say, Lord, let me hear from your word today. Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. This is the classroom. Speak to me today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless as you're seated today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. Hey, now don't lie in church, but if it's applicable. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark the second chapter. I want to talk to us today about some characteristics of what I call a dare taker. The characteristics of a dare taker. Before we go there, I want to tell you about the dare that we're talking about. Jesus, some of the last words before he ever exited this earth in bodily form, he turned to his disciples. How many know if you're about to leave this earth, that's when you say some, some of the most important things you ever say? That's when you gather the children around. That's when you gather your friends around and say, guys, this is the most important thing I can leave with you. And Jesus said this. You can see this over in Mark chapter 16. Uh, you can see this in Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world and... Go into all the world and... Preach the gospel, right? And then... Uh, Paul over in Acts, I believe it's chapter 16, actually tells us what preaching the gospel is. A lot of people say that they're preaching the gospel, but if the gospel's not confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles, then you only preach the half gospel, according to Paul in the book of Acts. A lot of our great uh, brothers and sisters of different denominations say they're preaching the gospel, but they spend their whole lives and never see a sign, a wonder, or a miracle. You're not preaching the gospel, according to Paul. Praise God. If you just hang around, it'll get better real quick. Great. <laughs> but Jesus said to go into all the world, preach the gospel. And he said this. He said, don't worry, guys. I'm with you to the end of the age. Uh, it's actually better that Jesus was to go away because he, when he went away, he sent us the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. And then over, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of scripture just to set up uh, what I'm talking about here today. But then over in the upper room, he, he told his disciples, he said, listen, I want you to hang out. I want you to spend time. I want you to spend time seeking me. And, and when you do, you'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. And when you do that, that's when you're become an effective witness. That would be a, that would be a great a great time, a great note for all of our, our, all of our future Bible college students and every person who decides to go to Bible college right there. You should tarry until you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost before you go out and start preaching this, this word. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I talked to a man this week. He's in charge of uh, Youth Alive for, for Pennsylvania and Delaware. And he said to me, he said, Kyle, he said, I was in I was in ministry for a year. He said, I graduated in assemblies of God Bible College, went through four years. He said, uh, I was in ministry for a year. He said, I went to go to apply for credentials. And I grew up in church my whole entire life, Pentecostal church my whole life right here in Pennsylvania. And he said, down the line somewhere. And he said, uh, uh, I went to apply for credentials and one of the presbyters said to me, so are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he says, what, what do you mean? He says, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues? He said, no, sir, I'm not. And he said, well, 
He said, come back when that happens. That was great advice. Because that same guy got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He got so sick of, of ministry as he knew it. And now God has promoted him to a level in which he's impacting thousands of teenagers all across the state and into Delaware. Praise God. In Mark chapter 2, I want to talk to you today about some of the characteristics of those people, those wild-eyed, mission-focused, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered dare-takers. See, I have the privilege of working with young people. One thing I love about when I work with young people is they don't really consider uh, the things that you and I consider. So if I, if I was to dare you today, if I was to say, uh, why, don't you, why, don't, why don't you sell everything you have and go move to Central Africa to go preach the gospel? One of the first things that you would ask me is, how much does it cost? I would respond with everything. But when you work with a young person, they just say, awesome, where do I sign up? That sounds like fun. I'll dedicate my whole life. You see, young people uh, go w uh, towards things with reckless abandonment, and I love that about them. And I think that's a great characteristic of the dare taker. But let's look at, at Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, And when he returned, speaking of Jesus, to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. Some translations, translations would say his home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. That seems like the logical thing to do. If you can't get into church, we'll just cut a hole through the roof and drop you down. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, everybody say faith. faith. Now say it like you're actually alive. Say faith. faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That sounds like a great place. That's the end of the story. We can all go home. Praise God, this guy had his sins forgiven. We can all rejoice in that, right? Oh, we love when, when somebody gets saved, right? We love when they walk these aisles. They make a decision publicly and personally to receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. They walk out those doors knowing that now Jesus calls them son, and we rejoice. We're happy all of heaven's throwing a party, and, and, and it's awesome, right? But some religious people had a problem with it. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, everybody say immediately. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And guess what happened? <laughs> and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Praise God. 
Let's talk this morning about some characteristics to what it means to be a dare taker, about what it means to actually take God at his word, to actually go into the world, preach the gospel, to be mission-minded, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, and crazy about Jesus. Can we talk this morning, though, before we get into that, about some hindrances that keeps people from knowing Jesus? Some things that are keeping your friends back from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are the same things that tried to hinder this guy from receiving his miracle. The first thing is this, the crowd. Everybody say the crowd. Say the crowd. This man couldn't fit in. Can I say this? If you can't fit in, it's a good thing because you're getting ready for a miracle. I'm actually very leery of the fit-ins. I'm very leery of those who, who don't have any spine, they don't have any backbone, and they, they just fit in all the time. These are the guys who, 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 if they're in ministry, they stand behind the pulpit and they say, well, you know, I mean, hey guys, it doesn't really matter which way you vote, it doesn't really matter which way you think, it doesn't really matter which way you believe, it doesn't really matter if Jesus is the Messiah or this guy or that guy, oh, it doesn't really matter. No, no, what you are is you need to grow a spine, you need to get saved first and grow a spine so you can stand behind God's holy desk and boldly proclaim the word of God. There's way too many people uh, today who are fit-ins. You'd swear they're politicians and not preachers. They're the kind of people who, who weave some kind of little agenda. Let me just tell you uh, right here today, we still stand on the Word of God. We still believe in the sanctity of life. We still believe that Jesus Christ is the soon-coming King. We still believe in the baptism and the Holy Ghost and fire. We still believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. We still believe when I lay my hands on the sick, they shall recover. We still believe in Jesus. We still believe that there is a God who loves people. We still believe in conviction. We still believe believe in heaven, but we still believe in a hell. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the gospel. We believe in who Jesus is, that what he said shall come to pass. We have way too many people who are looking to fit in. Let me tell you something. I don't fit in anywhere. And if you're fitting in this morning, it's time to stand out. I I encourage our youth all the time. Don't be a fit-in in school. Don't be another face in the crowd. You know know what? I I read this recently, and it's so true. Uh, Crowds never move anything. It's the committed who see things change. Let me say that again. A crowd doesn't move anything. It's the committed that sees the change. We get so tied up in the crowd. We get so tied. Oh, my gosh, look at the multitude of people. But the truth is, all it took was 12 people to change the world. Amen? And one of them was a devil. (laughs) The crowd was a hindrance to this person receiving their miracle and their salvation. The second hindrance was this, their method. Everybody say method. Everybody say your method. This guy comes to the door, which was the method in which to enter the house. Can we all agree on that? Did you enter in through a door here? Did you cut the roof off the place? Are you the person we need to file the police report with? Okay. If you entered in through the method of simply opening a door and walking in, praise God. That was was your method. But if the door was locked, what would you would have done? If the door was bolted shut, would you say, hey guys, listen, the the church must, they're still having church. I know they are. You know what we're going to do? We're going to throw a rock through the glass door and we're going to jump in. I'm just going to change my method. Nothing's going to keep me back from the house of God. Well, please don't do that. But you you understand what I'm saying. 
if, if, you, if you face resistance, so many people face resistance and they think, well, it's just time to quit then. It's not time to quit. It's time to change your method. A, a, a failed method isn't a failed message. Our message never changes. We preach Jesus. We preach the gospel. We, our message will never change, but our methods are constantly getting better. The problem is, is the church today is so focused on methods and not message. Do you want me to say that again? The church is so focused on methods instead of message. Our message will never change. It's like, uh, I'm a deer hunter, and so when I shot my deer this year, uh, I had to use a completely different method. I could shoot both with my left and my right eye. I could shoot a bow with both my right and my left hand. And, 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 and if the way my, my, my deer came out this year, when he started to break the tree line, I only had one way to shoot him. It was a long shot between trees and I had to use a different eye than which I'm usually using. Now the good news is I shot my deer. But if I, if I was, so, well, no, I can only shoot a deer one way. There's only one way for me. Well, then I would have never got my deer and filled my freezer this year. It's the same way with many in the church today. Well, brother, the problem is, is that we just need to go. No, it's not about going back to the way things have always been. It's about going back to the word of God. Amen. Amen. I, had a, I had a man tell me one time, I was invited to a meeting. My dad was there. And they wanted to ask me how we're supposed to reach young people. Uh, inner city kids who don't know Jesus. And they, they said, all right, uh, let's hear it. How do you think we should reach young people? I said, okay, I know this is going to kind of throw a curveball, um, and, and I might not even like some of these things, but it's about the message, right? It's about winning people for Jesus. Yeah, it's about winning people for Jesus. Okay, great. So we're going to get really loud rap music. Uh, we're going to have food, and when they come, we're going to have games, and we're going to hang out with them. We're going to build relationships with them, and then we're going to have gospel-centered conversations, right? We're going to preach the gospel. They're going to be called to a, a public and personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And this guy, he, he, he cut me off. He said, now let me tell you, young man. He said, here's how we're going to reach the next generation. I said, okay, please tell me how we're going to reach the next generation. He said, we're going to sing hymns exactly how King James sung hymns. And uh, I said, okay. And he, he said, we're going to sing hymns in, in the 1503rd Anglican. And I said, okay. He says, and, and I think he was waiting for me. Like I'm waiting for, for right, like, like the punchline, right? I'm waiting for him to land the plane. And, and he says, and that's what's going to change this generation. I said, sir, I like hymns more than most people. I grew up in church. I, I, I'm a third generation Pentecostal preacher. My boys will be fourth generation. I love hymns. But inner city kids uh, probably aren't going to be attracted to you singing old English hymns. Not dealing with the message here. I know, you just curl your toes. Oh, I hate when they talk. Just, it's about promoting the message in many different methods. You might not like it, but the message remains the same. Which, which leads me to my third hindrance, the religious. Everybody say the religious. Whew, I made it at that point of life. Uh, the religious. Who were the people who had a problem with the miracle? It was the religious people. It was the, the, the church leaders. They were those that got mad that the guy got his sins forgiven. 
Oh, no. Brother, I rejoice just like the angels when people get saved. Okay, think of the worst person. Think of your cousin Eddie in your family. Think of that one that when they show up, you're like, oh my gosh, here they go again. If they get saved, are you thinking, well, I hope they stick with it this time. Come on. Or are you rejoicing? See, the problem is, is that the religious people, the people in the crowd, they were the people who were excited. Yeah, like if somebody was to break through the ceiling today, you just hear. Some people are like, let's get some popcorn. This would be a great show. I can't wait to see how this one turns out. Is he going to rappel down here? Is he going to tie a Blake's head? What is he going to do? I don't know. But how many know we'd be pretty uptight? What about... What about if somebody comes and they sit next to you in church and they smell like booze? They shouldn't be like that in the house of God. No, I'm glad they are in the house of God. Don't get so religious and uptight. Matter of fact, uh, I talked to a, a parole officer one time. Not, I wasn't on parole. They, they, they called me. Okay, just to be clear. They, they called me and they said, hey, they said, uh, we, we have somebody, a young, a young man here. Uh, you know, he's 16 years old, and we, we, everything we do, it doesn't work. And so he, he's actually requested, and, and we've talked about it and stuff. Uh, can we send him to your youth ministry to see if that might help him? And I said, yeah, absolutely, that'd be great. They said, no, you don't understand. He's violent. He, he beats people up. He steals things. He hates everybody. He hates authority. I said, I, he'll, be, he'll fit right in. It'll be great. And so he came in, this young man. He sat in the back, and we took po- proper uh, precautions. I, I assigned a youth leader to sit right next to him and everything like that. But he, he comes in. And guess what? Guess what happened? I saw some kids start looking at him like, is that... Did he hit a skunk on the way out, or did he smoke a little bit of pot, you know? So, so did he, uh, uh, and, and here he is sitting in the back. And I saw some kids turn a little religious. Because it's not about your age, it's about the spirit. Did you see, did you see, Pastor Kyle, did you see so-and-so is here? Yeah, I'm glad they are. I can't wait to see them get saved. You got to understand, in youth ministry, uh, I feel like I'm constantly on a learning curve, all right? I might be in my mid-20s, uh, which is not that far away from teenage years, um, but I feel like every like three seconds, things are changing, constantly, constantly changing. We had a young man come in one time, and I, I used to think that like it, to, 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 smoke, to smoke drugs, to do marijuana, as the kids do, to, to, to smoke pot. By the way, my, I used to burn a pot like on the stove, not like that. And... Uh, so this kid was going to the bathroom and he was leaning into the bathroom and he was smoking something in the bathroom. It was a vaporizer. That same kid, when the altar call happened, something grabbed a hold of him. He went over and sat down and all of a sudden I could see the anointing come upon him, him break down, walk to the front, vaporizer in hand and give his life to Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people would get all uptight and religious about that. I didn't know what he was doing in the back room, by the way. I would have stopped him if I knew what he was doing. I'm not condoning the sin, but I'm saying we have to step outside of our little religious box sometime to see Jesus transform our world together. We get so tied up in the little religious things that we do. Wow, they didn't. Who cares? A pastor friend of mine, his... uh, his sound guy, which our sound, this doesn't apply to our sound guy, but somebody came up and they, they said, 
hey, Pastor Mark, they said, I saw the sound guy was outside smoking cigarettes. You, you, need, you need to have a talk with him. He said, smoking cigarettes? Yeah. Oh, praise God. Thank, what do you mean, praise God? Well, last week he was smoking pot outside, so I'm just glad it's cigarettes this week. Don't get so religious. Don't get so uptight. Well, I can't believe that you're condoning sin. I'm not condoning sin. I hate sin. But I'm saying don't get so caught in your little religious box that Jesus has no room to operate in your life. The biggest hindrance to your friends getting saved is you. The biggest hindrance to people coming to Peckville Assembly of God, there's nothing wrong with the ministry. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. It's with the harvesters. I love what we said a couple weeks ago. Your biggest problem is actually your greatest harvest. Meanwhile, the church sitting here is, Lord, we want harvest. We want harvest. And then here comes somebody, right, who, 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 who they're so desperate for a touch of Jesus, and they come in, oh, Lord, not that kind of harvest. We want the kind of harvest that's already cleaned up. I lived in Alaska. I, I lived off the land for two years. Salmon, uh, caribou, moose, okay? You know what I noticed? The caribou don't shoot themselves. They don't clean themselves. They don't hang themselves. You know, caribou, caribou hunting's hard work. I spent 17 hours on a snowmobile one time going after one caribou. It's hard work, hundreds of miles, beating up your body. You know, I know it's about fish. My fish never, my, my fish never jumped out, out of the stream and, and cut a fillet off and then got into the freezer bag and got sucked up and then went over to my freezer and jumped in my freezer, then got into my pan and then, and then got all fried up in my pan and they got a little bit in the teriyaki sauce and then they came over and slid on the plate and then they jumped into my mouth. That never happens. But that's what we expect the lost to do in our churches. And we, we, we pray stupid prayers. We, well, Lord, just I know, Father, that you're going to draw people into the... He, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to draw them, but get busy bringing them in. Don't get so religious. Well, oh, brother, I know that if we just let our light shine. Yeah, you let your light shine by getting vocal about things. You let your light shine about actually living like Jesus. And that's not some little religious thing. That's laying your hands on the sick and they shall recover. When we say, well, if you just live like Jesus, you know how Jesus lived? He was persecuted. They hated his message. Matter of fact, his friends were sinners. The religious people hated him. Now let's talk about some characteristics of the dare taker. Number one, these people care enough to get involved. Is this okay this morning? They care enough to get involved. I love this about this guy's friends in, in, in Mark chapter 2. They're like, well, guys, the, the door, we can't get in? All right, fine. We'll just, uh, uh, we're just going to dig a hole in the roof and, and we'll just throw you down in front of you. Is that cool with you? I can imagine the guy's going up the ladder. His legs are flailing around. And then he's like, no, guys, just leave me go. No, 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 well, buddy, you're getting to Jesus. Look, we got heaven's gates, hell's flames coming up. This is the attitude you have to take. I care enough about our schools to, to get involved. I care enough about my workplace to get involved. I care enough about my brothers and my sisters and my parents and my grandparents and my kids to get them to the house of the Lord. You see, because there's two types of evangelism. There's, there's, the, there's the go tell we just talked about in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, but there's also come see. Jesus said to go into the highways and the byways and to compel them that my house might be my house might be 
So it's important that you do both. Get involved. There was a study done a few years ago in a high-trafficked area where they, they, they did some role-playing where they had a guy uh, act like he was bleeding out in a high-trafficked area. You know what most people do? You guys know because you've traveled 81 before. They, they went and, and, and they look at the guy and they look around and they look at the guy again. Today, in today's day and age, they, they take a, a selfie Snapchat and, and they walk away. When they would walk away, these people who were conducting the study would pull them aside and say, hey, why did you not call 911? You know what the answer was that they would, they would always return with? Nine times out of 10? We thought and we assumed someone else would tell them. Can I just tell you this today? No one else is going to tell them. The obvious parallel is this. There are people at your workplace, in your families, in our communities, and in, in the Wyoming Valley 40 stretch behind us that are bleeding out. And no one else is going to tell them. Oh, we'll just leave it. Don't leave it to chance. Time is running way too short. Jesus is about to split the eastern sky and return to reclaim his bride. It's time to get busy about the harvest. You have to care enough to get involved. Do you care enough to get involved? These guys' friends obviously did. How do you feel that you might be the only representation of Jesus that they ever see? How do you feel about that? I said to a young man uh, two weeks ago, we were cutting trees and we we're going to go over and dump some wood chips. I brought him to the multi-purpose building because he likes to play basketball. Basketball was the bait. Jesus was the hook. I said, I said, what do you think about the basketball court here? Yeah, man, this is awesome. This is so cool. And all of a sudden, the conversation developed and I'm starting to tell him about Jesus. And in the multi-purpose building, this man who, he told me, he said, he, said I, he, he didn't realize who I was when he first told me this. He said, ah, he said, I think when I go to that, that church, that they, they tell the preacher what to say because every time I'm in there, it's like the preacher's talking right to me. So I just get up and I run away. So that's conviction. And all of a sudden he started to break down and he started to cry at a basketball court in Blakely, Pennsylvania. You have to care enough to get involved. You might be the only representation that your coworkers ever see of Jesus. You might be the only representation that Lackawanna County and Wayne County now ever see of our Messiah. Don't you know that you are Christ's ambassadors? Don't you know you were bought with a price? Don't you know you're a royal priesthood? It's time to care enough to get involved. Number two, the second characteristic is this. We're willing to do whatever it takes. You know, what, you know what I love about this place? This is a place where we don't take no for an answer. This is a place that when they say, you can't build that building, we say, watch us do it by the grace of God. When, when, when they say, uh, hey, uh, what, what do you guys do in building a baseball field anyways? You're going to say, well, we're actually going to see people give their lives to Jesus Christ in that baseball field. This isn't about building a ministry. This is about building a movement. This isn't about 
well, man, uh, it's kind of hard, I guess, to, to do those things. So I, I, we're going to, no, this is about doing whatever it takes. This is about people up in Honesdale working around the clock. This is about people saying, you know what, uh, I'm going to go without my Starbucks in the morning if it means uh, put, putting more dollars and cents for, for, for gospel and world evangelization. It's about doing whatever it takes. Frank, how many people did you lead to Jesus through your outreach club this year? About 10 people have said yes to Jesus because a young person has an outreach club in their school. That's pretty awesome. Let me ask you, let me ask you this question, not, not, not to compare or anything like that, but how many people have you led to Jesus on the workplace this year? He's 15, right? 16. I'm just trying to keep you younger, keep you around more. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I love, one thing I love about around here is that this is not a place where we get concerned and consumed with what it costs. We just say whatever it costs, whatever it takes. It's about Jesus. I've, uh, I've had the immense privilege to spend time on the mission field. We've hosted different teams that have come in. And one group that we had the privilege to work with was, was YWAM students. And, and YWAM students, one thing about them is they're, they're crazy about the call for Jesus Christ. These are people, young people, in their 20s who have given up everything for the call of Jesus Christ. Jeff, you, you, you told me before the service, somebody in your family is going to Africa for two and a half years. And they won't even come home during that two and a half year span. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we're in this for one thing. It's Jesus Christ. When we talk about heaven's gates, hell's flames, we don't, we don't talk about the dollars and cents of it. What we actually talk about is this. Are you willing to pay the price of the insults? Are you willing to pay the price of people saying, think of these guys about, about the people who insulted them for poking a hole in their roof. <laughs> I don't care, we just want my friend to know Jesus. I don't care what it costs. I, I, I don't care what it takes. I, I don't care what they say about me. I don't care if my, my coworkers laugh at me. I don't care if my family thinks I'm crazy. I, 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 don't, I don't care. Who, a prayer meeting? Yeah, I'll sacrifice an hour of work for that. Yeah, oh, it's the church on Sunday? Yeah, that's the Lord's day. I'm gonna be there. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs to see one more person say yes to Jesus and no to sin. Whatever it takes in Lackawanna County and Wayne County and Northeastern Pennsylvania to see one more young person say yes to Jesus, sign me up. Well, brother, now with all those young people, you gotta don't don't give me that. This is all about seeing more people get to heaven. This is all about making more disciples. This place, this is a house of, of, of the harvest. This is a place where the harvest gets taken in. Not, we're not interested in playing church games. Well, brother, I think you should have a commitment. No, we're, this is about Jesus and his mission. 
This isn't about sitting around and bickering about, no, this is about doing whatever it takes. I love this about these guys. Well, guys, the, the door uh, can't get in through there, so we'll just, we'll just cut a hole in the ceiling and that's gonna be a long drop, probably kill the guy in the process, so we'll tie some ropes to him and just lower him down. Those are good friends to have, thank you. Let me ask you this, are, do you have these kind of friends? Are you that kind of friend? Because the truth of the matter is this, unless you're willing to do whatever it takes, like I find it funny, and I understand there's precautions that people should take. Wash your hands, if you haven't washed your hands up to this point, just do us all a favor and you know, you know, don't, yeah, whatever. But I find it funny that people get so fearful about some small thing that's affected about 0.4% of the population. But we're not concerned about the sin that's gonna kill every single person on the face of the earth. How about this one? If, you, if, if you're willing to get fearful over a sickness or a disease, what are you gonna do when the government's got guns in their hands? You know, the same government that from where this d disease originated hates Christianity and kills Christians? See, dare takers are willing to do whatever it costs, whatever it takes, because the power's not in the crowd, the power's in the committed. These guys didn't stop when, when the going got tough. They didn't stop when their method didn't work. They didn't stop at a closed door. See, a dare taker doesn't see a closed door as a closed opportunity. They just see it as, as an opportunity to apply a different method. That's what I love. I love this about this place. It's like, oh, oh so people, people, they don't wanna come to church because they're afraid that, that we think we have our hand out. Oh, let's just bless the community then. <laughs> Oh, 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 people don't want to come here for a church service? Fine, let's do a play for three nights straight and just preach the gospel that way. We're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to do whatever it costs. We're not in this just to have some fun and games. We're in this for Jesus Christ. The third characteristic and the last characteristic is this. You have to be willing to offend the religious people, the Pharisees, and the scribes. Are you willing to offend the Pharisees? Are you willing to offend religious people? Let me tell you something. Uh, any resistance I've ever received, the hardest resistance comes from church people. I'm a church person, just to set the record straight. Resistance from the enemy, overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word, word of the testimony. Resistance from people who don't know Jesus, that's fine, they don't, they don't know Jesus yet. But resistance from my brothers and sisters in Christ, now that's a problem. You'd have to ask, are they really even a brother or sister in Christ? I'm almost done. Are you willing to offend the religious. People who say the worst things and have the greatest opinions 
about the way that we should be getting the harvest are those who should be busy getting the harvest themselves. But they're not. So then they take an aim at people who are actually doing something. Can I say this? People never criticize people who are ineffective. They only criticize those who are doing something. You can't criticize inactivity. For instance, if there's a car parked in the parking lot, right? You go up to it, okay, it looks like a car, it smells like a car, it feels like a car. I don't know if there's any problem with the car until it starts and goes down the road because you can't knock inactivity. But when you actually start doing something, when you start fulfilling your purpose, when you start saying, I'm willing to do whatever it costs, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, I'm willing to fill my car for heaven's gates and hell's flames, I'm willing to bring my family for Easter, I'm willing to step out and step out in a big way, that's when the Pharisees are gonna say, who do you think you are? Don't you know you're from a small town? Don't you know that's not who we are as a family? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah, it's the problem is that you focus on what you know and not what the Word of God says. It's not about building some idea. It's about willing to offend the Pharisees. Who were the people who had the biggest problem with this guy getting forgiven in, in, in the Bible? The religious people. In the 40s in Germany, there was a church that was situated alongside the rail tracks in which they took Jewish people to different concentration camps, one being Auschwitz. Six, over six million Jews passed away because of one person who was demonically possessed who influenced the nation. They would, rail, they, they would load up those rail cars with the Jewish people and the conductor would actually stop right in front of the church with the rail car so that the Jewish people could hear the, the, the hymns being sung in German. And as they would hear the hymns, it was almost like the conductor was saying, yeah, see what you're going to miss as you go to a concentration camp. And so when that train would pull up behind the church, the pastor and the song leader would come over and they would talk and say, listen, we, we got to sing louder because we don't want to hear the people out behind the church screaming and, 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 and their, their nails going against the boards of, of the rail car as they're about to go to a gas chamber. And so the, the train would stop and, 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 and the air brakes would stop and all of a sudden you, you hear a scream like you've never heard a scream before. If you've ever been part of, of an accident or if you've ever helped somebody or, or anything like that, that scream, just imagine that maybe times 500. And people screaming and saying, please help us, please help us. We're here, we're about to die. We're, we're, we're on our way to, 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 to an earthly hell. We're, we're on our way to a gas chamber. We're on our way to a, to a furnace. We're on our way to, to suffering. We're on our, on our way to, to people spitting at us and mocking us and, and, and carving swastikas in our foreheads. We're on our, our way to a place that seems like a hell. I talked to a woman uh, when, I, when I worked at Wegmans when I was a teenager, and, and she had a, a big, big necklace on it, said NRA on it. She was like 90-some years old. I said, man, that's, that's, that's quite the necklace you got. She goes, let me tell you something. She says, I'm Jewish. I said, oh, that's great. I said, God bless you. She says, you don't understand. She said, I watched my family get taken away 
and put into concentration camps. And she said, I myself spent time being tortured. Maybe she was on one of those cars right before the camp got liberated. But they, they would stop the car, and all of a sudden, the song louder would tell the congregation, the choir, guys, sing louder. Let's drown out the cries of the lost. Sing louder. There's people out there, and we can't stand to hear the sound of people who are about to be tortured by our own. Sing louder, sing louder, and they would scream and they would yell and, and, and they're clawing at the door to get out because they desire freedom so bad. It's the obvious parallel of what's going on today in the Wyoming Valley. There's people who are screaming and they're crying and they're clawing and they're saying, just please help me. I feel lost. I feel burdened. I'm on my way to a, to a gas chamber. I'm on, on my way and I'm, I'm trying to ease the pain with a drink or with a drug or with suicide or with whatever it might be. And all, all the meanwhile, the churches all across this 40-mile stretch are just saying, sing louder. We can't stand the opiate crisis. Sing louder. We can't stand teen pregnancy. Sing louder. We, we can't stand the, the, the millions of, of, young, of young babies who get slaughtered in America. Just sing louder and drown out the sound of the lost. Sing louder and drown out the cries of those who are on their way to a hell. Sing louder because we can't stand the sound of it. We just want to sing how great thou art and sit in our song and give our one dollar every week. We we can't stand the sound of the lost at a bar on a Friday night. We can't stand the, 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 the cry of the lost on a Saturday night as a man purchases a prostitute and goes to the motel right here down the street. We can't stand the sound of it because we're not willing to get involved in the cry of the lost. You see, when that parole officer called me. What I heard was not a man involved in the law seeking to get a young person in my youth ministry so I can pad my ARM numbers. I heard the cry of someone who's lost. When I see young people walk in to the Catalyst on a Saturday night and they smell like they just hot box their car on the way in. I don't think, oh, here we go again. Here's more high teenagers. I think, Lord, I hope your anointing gets upon them so strong that they sober up when I start to preach the gospel. I'm done with the side comments. I'm done with your own little religious box trying to boil the thing down to a 90 minute window on a Sunday morning. We're done playing games. This is about the loss. I'm done seeing people mainline heroin and OD. I, I, I'm done seeing, seeing young people uh, die in, in, in the public school system here. I, I'm done with young people coming to me and saying, Pastor Kyle, I, I'm so afraid because school, school shootings have hit every single uh, place, but, but they haven't hit us yet. I'm done hearing people walk in fear. It's time to stand up and say, I'm not going to fear anymore. I, I, I'm not going to be afraid of people anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of the loss. I'm willing to exit the church. I'm willing to go down to that rail car. I'm willing to, I don't care if I get my chainsaw. I'm going to cut the lock off that sucker and set the prisoners free. I'm not living life for myself anymore. This isn't about what it costs. This isn't about what it takes. We're willing to do whatever it takes. If it, if it takes renovating an old Assemblies of God church that was dilapidated, then we're going to do it for the, for the cost 
cause of Jesus Christ. If it means getting high-definition cameras and broadcasting to the nations of the earth, then we're going to do it for the cause of Jesus Christ. If it means people, our young people going to be martyrs in Central Africa, then we're going to raise up a brand new breed of young people who, who aren't going to be... Uh, squiggly uh, uh, spine, they're going to stand up and say, you know what? If it takes blood, it takes blood. If it takes sweat, it takes sweat. If it takes tears of travailing for our sons and for our daughters and for our prodigals, and it takes tears and let us cry them hard. We got to be willing to do whatever it takes. We can't settle for some false anointing. We can't settle for some backwards, uh, lukewarm. You know, the problem with the church today is most people are just so lukewarm. And they look at a young person like me, or they look at people in our youth ministry, and they say, oh, I remember when I was young. It's not about being young. It's about being on fire for Jesus Christ. It's about not seeing a generation go to hell anymore. Let it be said of me like it was said of David over in Acts chapter 7, that that man fulfilled his purpose in his generation that God assigned him to do. This isn't about just trying to build our own little comfortable life. This is about ripping souls out of hell and bringing them to heaven with us. On the Titanic, there was one lifeboat. Most lifeboats went to waste on the Titanic. But there was one lifeboat that nearly sank because of the amount of people they took with them. It was lifeboat 13. As they loaded it down with as many people as possible before that great ship sank. And it saved more people than the rest of them. Peckville Assembly of God, we're not another Assemblies of God church. We're Lifeboat 13. We build a, a baseball field because we're Lifeboat stinking 13. We, we build a multi-purpose building, and we're going to have the best of the best in there because we're stinking Lifeboat 13. We're going to send people to the mission field because we're stinking lifeboat 13. We're going to have a ministry school, and it's going to be the best and the brightest because we're stinking lifeboat 13. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ unashamedly with great boldness because we're lifeboat 13. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. This isn't about playing church. It's not about having your religious game. Well, I just show up and I serve and I do my thing. No, you serve because there's people who need Jesus Christ. There's people sitting here today who need Jesus Christ. There's people watching on the other end of the camera who need Jesus Christ. I get so concerned. when I see us do what's normal. We won't settle for the status quo. We're not gonna play church. This is about the gospel. This is about us serving our purpose and our generation. I had a man tell me recently, he said, well, what's the difference between you guys and this other church, he said, you guys speak in tongues or something, right? Listen, I'm not so interested just if you can merely speak in tongues, but about the power that you carry to set a dying world free. The truth of the matter 
Every single person who's seated here, including myself, as I'm one of you, shoulder to shoulder, will stand before God one day. And you're either going to meet God as judge or as friend. God will look at you and he'll say, ask you a question. It'll sound something like this. Why should I let you enter into my eternal glory? And if we say because, well, I was a big giver. If we say because I lived a decent life. If we say because I was Assemblies of God or Catholic or Baptist or Buddhist or Muslim or anything else. He'll say this, depart from me for I never knew you. Don't you know there will be people on that day who stand before God and they'll say, but Lord, we cast out devils using your name. We, 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 it's like, it's like uh, the evangelist highlight reel. Look at all the people that got saved. Look at all the people that got healed. Look at all the people that got saved. Woo, praise God, awesome. And he'll say this, yeah, I didn't even know you though. I didn't even know you. You were busy serving. You were busy doing something and your busyness was your detriment because I never knew you. I never had personal relationship with you. There was no intimacy with each other. Into me, see. There, 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 there was no personal relationship with my son, Jesus. There'd be people, Catholic priests, Assemblies of God pastors, people who led revivals, who will stand before God one day and be sent to hell because it's not about what you do on earth. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. Every single person who's here will stand before God. I'm so done with what we've called American Christianity, which is this. And I'm more patriotic than everybody in this room combined, just for the record. I still have a copy of the Constitution Lots of guns, an American flag, praise God. <laughs> but what we've boiled down Christianity to is this. Go to church, give a couple bucks, be a nice person, and go home. When Jesus says, that's nice, but I want not 10%, I want 100% of you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of you listening and tag us on your social. Thanks again for joining us. We love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.